The following is a sermon preached at the First Presbyterian Church of Jackson, Mississippi. Let me ask you to turn to Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to look at the long middle of Proverbs 6 this evening, so I'll start reading at verse 6, and we'll read to verse 24. Before we read, let's pray. God, our Father, how good you are. How good you are that we might know you. Not only have you redeemed us, you've made us your sons and daughters through the work of your Son, but you give us your word that we may know you, that we, we may relate to you knowingly, admittedly, a little now, with more to come. But Father, how, how rich is what we have from you. And oh, how great the whole. So bless us now. Feed our souls. Speak to us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning with, uh, with verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? Oh, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his fingers, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord, therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he'll be broken beyond healing. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is the third in our January series looking at various passages from the Proverbs. Um, I chose... My emphasis for this sermon to be on the sluggard and the fool. 
David Felker told us uh, uh, last uh, Lord's Day evening that, that, that Proverbs envisions us on a journey. Everybody's going somewhere. Uh, who will we be on the way? The book of Proverbs really seeks to teach us how to travel well. Who are we becoming on the highway? Proverbs warns us as we read the course of the book. Proverbs warns warns us about several types of fellow travelers. Tonight we want to give attention to two types, uh, the sluggard and the fool, and we'll finish with looking at the truth. So there's the outline, uh, the sluggard, the fool, and the truth. Uh, verse 6 of, of chapter 6 begins with the, the sluggard. Let me read a, a couple of other passages sprinkled through Proverbs about the sluggard. The sluggard is, is no stranger throughout the book of Proverbs. Um, and so listen to these passages from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Uh, chapter 20. Verse 4, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn, but he will seek at harvest and have nothing. Proverbs 26 offers several different proverbs related to the sluggard. One, uh, verse 13, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, there's a lion in the streets. Verse 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard in his bed. Verse 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Verse 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who could answer sensibly. Think of pouring out molasses from a jar on a cold winter morning. It's slow, isn't it? You've got to take some time. It's dense. It's thick. It's barely moving. That's the sluggard. He can't be hurried. He can't be bothered. He can't be stirred. Proverbs 10, 26 says, Like vinegar on the teeth or smoke in the eyes is the sluggard to all who send him. The sluggard's always interested in more. More sleep, more slumber, more rest. He's not interested in more work. And nor is he interested in the consequences of doing more work. Did you catch that? The poverty that comes upon him like a robber and need like an armed man. Think of the alarm of those images. Who sees the robber coming? If you see the robber coming, you can protect yourself. Who sees the armed man till he's upon them? Surprise is their advantage. And surprise is what greets the sluggard as he suddenly discovers he has need. He never saw it coming, did he? He was sleeping. He was resting. He was burying his hand in the dish. He was satisfying himself. But he wasn't doing anything to support himself. What happens then? Well, the sluggard will jump into action, won't he? The armed man of need will be upon him, and he'll be motivated. Harvest time will be there. But there's nothing to show for it because he hasn't done anything to lead up to harvest time. Because of his laziness. There will be things that he craves. Did you catch that? The sluggard craves things. But there's no way to acquire them because you have to work for them. The sluggard's not interested in that. The sluggard never saw the inevitable coming. 
upon him. The wise man did. How long will you lie there, sluggard? Wake up. How long will you sleep, sluggard? When will you wake up? It was the wise man warning the sluggard, go to the ant. Consider her ways and be wise. The harvester ant, maybe? Harvester ants are capable of carrying seeds and even mushrooms for underground storage in communal granaries. They feed the whole nest. They work together to feed the whole nest. A nest of harvester ants can contain as many as 10,000 ants. And guess what? They're all female. They're all female. Let me stop right there. Let me stop right there. Why did you have Christmas at your house? Because there's a wife and a mama that lives there. Why did you have Thanksgiving meal? Because there was a wife and a mama who made it happen. You're going to have Easter in a few months because there's a wife and a mama who's going to make it happen. Thank them. Appreciate them. Uh, Don't forget those meaningful anniversaries, uh, men and husbands. Um, They're thinking about those things, too. I I guarantee you Debbie Dempsey's already been Christmas shopping for next year. She has already been out there because it happens. She is Santa's favorite elf, and she is always thinking. So let's just understand and appreciate that and appreciate them, the work they do to make houses homes. Let's thank them. That's not what Solomon's talking about. That that is a free little thing, and we'll get back to what Solomon's talking about. These, These ants, these ants who will carry off your picnic piece by piece, and they won't stop until they get the last Frito. Solomon is telling the sluggard, look at what she's doing. He's he's calling upon the sluggard to learn industry, responsibility, initiative, a work ethic from the least of God's good creatures. The sluggard can talk a good game, but he has no follow-through. He's all hat and no cowboy. Solomon is saying, enough empty talk, watch the ant, learn from her, be wise. He's calling on the sluggard to repent of his laziness, and to take care of the business before him. He's calling on the sluggard to work. How do we travel well? We work. We stir ourselves to lay our hands to whatever God has called us to, whatever he set before us, whatever may be the opportunities for provision and for advancement that he's made available to us. Some of that work uh, is engaging and enjoyable and fulfilling the things that we believe God made us to do. It doesn't feel like work. We're happy to do that. Many of those responsibilities aren't that way, are they? It's time to unload the dishwasher again. How many dirty dishes can one family make? Look at that grass. I just cut it, and now it's got to be cut again. And one other word that won't require any explanation from me leaves. There is no greater futility than leaves. Beautiful three-quarters of the year. Awful after they fall. We're grateful for God-given rest, but in the meantime, we work. Sometimes meaningfully, sometimes menially, but we work. There's a sluggard 
in all of our hearts, isn't there? We drag him or her to consider the ant and be wise. That's how we travel well. We recognize the sluggard that's out yonder. We recognize the sluggard that's in here. We consider the ant. God calls us to work and has made work for us. We travel well as we work and do the work that God has laid out for us and resist the temptation of the sluggard who's always there looking very restful. But then we also encounter the fool. The sluggard and the fool are are, are very much alike in some ways. They think almost exclusively of themselves. God's commands and his ways, your well-being or mine, are never considered. The sluggard and the fool have one thing in mind, me. What's good for me? What's in it for me? What can I get? How can I have my own ends accomplished here? The sluggard is just blind and sad, but the fool is dangerous. Let's never underestimate the fool. As the Bible talks about the fool, that's not an intellectual question. That's a moral question. The fool has has made a moral choice. Psalm 14 tells us the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers, catch this now, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread? That's the fool. This passage does not use the word fool, but the the actions described fit exactly what we see in Psalm 14. This is the fool. For the fool, your possession, whatever that possession might be, Your possession is his or her opportunity. When Solomon, what Solomon shows us here is that the wicked man whose speech is crooked, he can't tell the truth, he can't tell the whole truth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, he's signaling his partners in crime, he has the victim in hand, and he's tightening the noose with the aid of his cronies, whom he's signaling all the time that his mouth is uttering falsehoods designed to mask and comfort and mislead. Solomon says his heart is perverted. That means his value system, his judgment is upside down, it's overturned. He's in the place of God in all things, you, me, everything is about him. Everything is about her. Everything must serve his purposes and accomplish what he wants. Solomon says he devises evil. Because he loves evil, maybe not. Maybe he doesn't love evil. Not always. But he loves himself. She loves herself. And devises advancement for him or herself by the easiest means possible, which are usually evil. It, 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 you have to work harder at being good. Evil comes naturally. Devising evil, continually sowing discord in the family, 
in the workplace, in the church, among groups of friends. The worthless person, the fool, keeps relationships in turmoil because he's always angling for himself. He's always trying to get for himself the upper hand. He's always trying to get advantage to himself. He's always thinking of himself. And everybody else is either in the way or or they're somehow helping him get to where he wants to go. He preys upon the person of soft heart. The one who always keeps the door open for him because it wouldn't be kind to exclude him. It wouldn't be loving. It's not the loving thing to do. Let's understand something. Clearly, God is against this person. Let's hear it. It may give us a little heartburn. God is against this person. Look at verse verse 15. Calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. Solomon doubles down on this idea of God's attitude towards the worthless person, towards the fool, using the strongest language possible. There are six things the Lord hates. There are seven that are an abomination to him. Let's stop right there. Abomination. We use that language. We use that word. We maybe don't even know what it means, and it's hard to to define something that is God's reaction because it's hard to find words to get around in God's heart. Um, uh, But but an abomination is something that's exceptionally loathsome, that's hateful, that's wicked, that's vile, that's sinful in the extreme. Again, we're we're, we're trying to define uh, God's attitudes here. It's, 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 uh, maybe we can start with something that we're more f- familiar with and begin to get something of an idea. Think of something that would have the effect upon you as you saw it of turning your stomach. Something that from which you would avert your eyes. You, you wouldn't want to see it. It's just too gross. Uh, something that you would step around if you were walking down the sidewalk and saw saw your, your, your steps about to cross it. You would step around it, and you wouldn't even look at it. That's, that's, that's something that gets us something into the neighborhood of what God, how God reacts to something that's an abomination. He doesn't look at it. He, do, he, doesn't, he doesn't entertain it. He turns away from it because it's disgusting. It's a stench in his nostrils. God is against this person, this person whose, whose eyes are haughty, this person whose tongue is a lying tongue, this person whose hands shed innocent blood, whose heart devises wicked plans, whose feet make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, one who sows discord among brothers. The fool is wrapped up in his folly, body and soul. Look at the references to his body. From his head to his toes. From his head to his toes. And catch the reference to sowing discord. We saw it in chapter, in verse 15. We see it again here in verse 19. God hates discord among those who ought to be unified, among brothers, not just biological brothers, spiritual family as well. How do we travel well? 
we avoid the fool. We avoid the fool, and that is not as easy as it may sound. Because the fool is someone for whom things seem to go well. As long as there's somebody else to squeeze out there. The fool is someone for whom things seem to work. People like to be with a winner. The the fool seems to win. Avoid the fool. At some point, you will be his next meal. And he will not hesitate to consume you. How do you travel well? Avoid the fool. Give him wide berth. Give her 20 miles. Don't come close. Don't be drawn in. How do you recognize? How do you recognize we travel well if we avoid the sluggard and the fool? How do we recognize? Well, we travel well, too, if we keep our hearts to the truth. And that's the final point of of this outline. How do we prepare? Solomon really uh, uh, points to our role as parents and grandparents preparing our children. But the point is, we keep our hearts to the truth. That's what he's talking about when he talks about your father's commandment, your mother's teaching. And so parents, let's first of all think of our our, our role, our duty, our responsibility, our calling to teach our children the truths of God's Word, the truth about who God is, who Jesus is, who we are, and how we respond to Him. We teach them the gospel of Christ. We teach them to trust Christ as Savior. Our, bad, our baptisms today, we watched our, our, these, those sweet parents vow to disciple their children. And we took a vow, too, to help them. We teach our children and our grandchildren to walk in God's ways. We don't wait until they show an interest in spiritual things, until they start asking questions, and we don't wait for them to knock on our door and say, I want to know who God is. We teach them now. We teach them as early as they can begin to understand the concepts of, of, of God, of, of, of love, of sin, of salvation, of grace, of God's mercy. We teach them about respect for authority and the virtues of sharing and showing kindness, of patience, of the mindset of you first instead of me first. Those are values that are shaped by life in the kingdom of God. They learn to recognize the fool because of what we teach them as we teach them God's word. We teach them the value and reward of work God made us to work, so they'll recognize the emptiness of the sluggard's ways. So parents, teach. Grandparents, teach. Disciple. Train. Thank the Lord that we have, we have uh, 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 helps here. We have great Sunday school. We have great youth ministry. We have great training programs. Those are wonderful helps Use them, use them, use them. But you know what? None of those, in, in none of those places are your children going to find their primary teacher. They're going to find their primary teacher at your house. 
around your table. Rising in the morning, going through the day, dinner together at night, praying before bed, and all along the way, all along the way, as, as, as the subjects come up, opportunities to, to point them to Christ, opportunities to point them to God's Word, opportunities to remind them what they heard on Sunday morning from this pulpit, what they heard in Sunday school, opportunities uh, if, if, if your family is still uh, with, with young children around the table at dinner, a family devotional will bear great dividends in discipleship and, and, and spiritual conversation opportunities in the days and weeks to come, I promise you. I didn't believe it. My wife had to persuade me. She prayed a long time for my hard-headed old heart to, 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 to finally, finally come to the same page. I was amazed when I saw the opportunities that came to us just because we read a little Bible around the table after supper. Usually everybody was crying. Everybody was, was being disciplined in some way for throwing peas at one another or kicking other, under the table. It was amazing how the, the fruitfulness of that time over the years. Parents, train your children, especially while you've got them at home especially while you've got them at home. What Solomon is telling us is that we parent towards preparation. We want to parent towards protection. Let's understand that difference. We want to parent towards protection, and that's where we start. But the ark is towards preparation. We want to make sure that the sluggard, the fool, the adulteress doesn't come within 20 miles of our children. The reality is that dangerous and unsavory people always find our children. And always when we're not around. You won't always be there. You're not going to be walking the dormitory halls. You're not going to be walking down the hallway at that first, that first job with them. You're not going to be walking with them in those places where they feel so alone and, and scared. Uh, do I know what to do? I don't know if I know what to do. How do, I, how do I recognize what to do? Those are the questions they're asking. We parent our children. We, 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 we teach them the truth of God so that they're equipped to recognize folly and danger when they see it. And they're equipped to make the right choice. We parent towards preparation. Will they read people and situations perfectly? No. Will they blow it? Yes. And they'll learn the painful lessons, what, um, what, what Solomon calls uh, the, the, the reproofs of life. The reproofs of life. They'll learn those. They'll learn those. And they're, they're, they're the reproofs that lead to life. They'll learn hard lessons that will help them the reproofs of discipline that are the way of life. Children, Solomon says something to you too. Verses 21 and 22, what your parents teach you, he says, bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. Don't take lightly the truth that you learn 
from your parents and from your grandparents here, here at First Pres and, and all the, 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 the avenues and places for teaching and ministry. Tie them in your heart. Keep them with you always. Wear it as a necklace of priceless jewels around your neck. It's always there. It's always seen. People can see what you're made of. Look, look at what's in it for you. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. What does all that mean? Children, it means that, that we're not talking here about just transferring information to you. We're talking about the living Word of God that's able to, to help you know your heart. Hebrews 4 talks about, about the, 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 the Word of God that's able to pierce to the division of soul and spirit to judge the motives of our hearts. God's Word teaches us about our heart. God's Word is able to renew our minds so that we can, we can discern, we can understand, we can get to an understanding of what God's will is, what His good and pleasing and perfect will is. God's Word is able to grow us into adulthood in Christ. Children, your, your, your body is growing and your, your soul is growing. And you want to be uh, a body and soul uh, all grown up. That's what God's Word does for us. So, so, so take what your parents are teaching you, take what you're learning here, and, and make it precious. Make it important. Keep it with you. Keep, don't let it get away from you. Don't let it disappear. Don't let it slip off your radar. We're talking about the words of life that open your eyes and help you see everything. You hear me? The words of life that open your eyes. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You don't know who to ask. Those are real questions that you, that you may have now and you're going to have as you grow up and get into new places and new jobs and new neighborhoods. And The words of life. The words of God's Word, they're going to lead you. They're going to lead you, I promise. They will lead you in the way everlasting. They'll preserve you in the way of the wicked if you follow them. Bind them. Bind them to your heart and tie them around your neck like beautiful jewelry because they're that precious. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you preserve us from dangerous ways and dangerous people. That you help us. That your word speaks to us. That you are behind us saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. And sometimes we don't even know how, how good your guidance is until everything's said and done. And we saw great potholes that we avoided because we listened to your word. So help us. Help us. Thank you so much. Go with us now. Plant your word deep in our hearts. Shape us. Shape us. and Mold us. Make us like Jesus. That's our prayer. Here's Father's. We make our prayer in Jesus' name.
and for his sake. Amen. You have been listening to a sermon preached at the First Presbyterian Church of Jackson, Mississippi. Our contact is www.fpcjackson.org.